So JC, is that short for Jesus or? I belong to him. Um, it's actually <laughs> Johannes your... Christoffel Hendrik Kutsia. Okay, I didn't know that. Your okay, Highness, remember you and Ed are, are you related from last week? Yeah, exactly. It should be working. Is it on? Is it working? Oh, let me just push this little red button at the bottom there. There we go. We come from the bush. Sorry, guys. <laughs> so, um, just so people to get to know you a little bit, yeah. you're probably looking at them and going, first of all, they look a little different to the couple that were up there. So that was the couple, Paul and Marinette, who started the ministry, and they were up there for about 10, ten, years. ten years. And then they felt to come back, and they started Hope Church in George. And then they needed someone else to go up there and take over from them. So this is Charlotte and JC, so have been there for the last 10 years. But some are saying, oh, you look quite young. How old are you guys? Tell us a little bit about yourselves, how many kids, all that stuff. Um, so I'm Charlotte. Hi. <laughs> I am just turned 36. So still young, very young. Um, and we have three adorable little kids. Gabby's the oldest. She's eight years old. And Hunter is six. And Liam is four. Have they settled at Kids Church yet? Because I know you... Well, Hopefully, we'll see if they come running on stage. We may have a visitor. <laughs> awesome. And you, JC? Yeah, so I'm, I'm JC and also the other long names. I am English, which is a bit of a weird one. But I'm 38, turn 38 on Thursday. Yes. Oh, awesome. So, yeah, 38 and, um, yeah, this is my beautiful wife. That's incredible. What else do you want to know? <laughs> I don't know, that's, that's, yeah. that's a good start. Um, so tell us, um, so you obviously, you were, you were living in Cape Town at the time and um, had normal corporate jobs. Tell us a little bit about that, what both of you guys were doing, because I think sometimes people look at missionaries and think, you, you know, you get the missionary type of people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're like not, of, normally a bit loopy, a little crazy. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, but, I mean, you guys just seem like a normal couple. Okay, you're living in Cape Town. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about what you're doing at the time, and then we'll talk about what happened. Okay, so I think we, when we met, we both knew that we felt called um, to missions, but didn't know what that looked like. Um, but we also knew that God has called us, like Hilton was saying earlier, like you're a missionary wherever God has placed you. Um, yeah. So as you go through life, as you... Um, are in different situations, different work places, a mother at home, like you, you're a missionary to the people around you. Yeah. So that's how we looked at it. Um, I was working for a kitchen company, I was a designer in Cape Town. Um, but yeah, we just, as, as a couple, when we got married, we said, God, we're willing to go wherever you send us. We're willing to go to places where nobody else wants to go, which is a bit scary. Um, but yeah, that was our heart. She, she's being a bit modest, yeah. She was at a she kitchen is, company. Who did she design kitchens for? She's, she's done kitchens for Oprah and for Gordon Ramsay. Oh, hello. A few like things. that, you know. <laughs> yeah, she's modest. Okay. So what did you do? Because I don't know if you can top that. I don't think I can. But um, I, I studied Bible and theology. I felt very called to, to medicine and business, which was like my conundrum. And then, similar to Hilt, God just told me, go do theology and I'll use you in everything else. So I was like, okay. So I did a degree in Bible and theology and went and visited um, Graham, our senior pastor, and said, hey, I'm finished. Um, what can I do? So he said, go get a job. So I, <laughs> I started a couple of companies. Um, business has always been one of my passions. And so I started a couple of companies with a friend of mine. And eventually my sister joined us as well. 
and that's pretty much yeah where we when we I started getting called. JC mentions a very important point. Often, you know, missionaries or people called to mission have such a heart to to help people, but then they don't have the the experience or the structure or even the resource or support to support yeah. what they're doing. You know, I just want to go and be a missionary. Or I just want to go do music full time. Yeah. But it's so important that setting that foundation because everything you guys um, did, you've used, and even what you're doing now, because uh, yeah. missionary is not just, uh, you've actually really got to know how to raise funds, you've got to also know, use your hands. Yeah, there's a lot. I think for me, one of the biggest things I've realized in life is that when God's preparing you, you often, um, you can often be frustrated by the preparation or the journey. Um, but if he's going to do something in the public sphere, let's put it that way, or where other people can see, he has to work on the foundations first. Any skyscraper is going to have a very wide and deep foundation. And when he's working in your life, that can be very frustrating. Yeah. Um, but we, we, yeah, fortunately, I think we knew that. So we bore with the frustration for 12 years, I think it was. 12 years. Yeah. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about purpose and calling. Um, I read this last night. It says, yeah, we all have the same purpose. Our purpose is to serve others and glorify God. Purpose is general, and calling is a, is a speciality or it's a specific role. The purpose is the destination, and how to get there is through our calling. Our calling includes the use of our unique talents, abilities, and spiritual gifts. Our calling is, is as unique as our fingerprints. The purpose is more important than the calling, though, but the purpose can't be achieved without the calling. Our calling is the thing God gives us to fulfill our purpose. I just found that really, really interesting. So um, do you want to comment on that first? No, I think, that's, I think that nails it. There's, there's so many layers in that. Um, but for me, the simplest version is God has done so much for us that we, that we want to respond to that. Yes. Um, and that's where the calling comes in is when he actually asks you to do something as a response. Yeah. So for you guys specifically, you corporate living in a beautiful city like Cape Town. I mean, it's amazing. I don't know how you did any work there anyway, but uh, incredible city, like life is good, you, you know, young, married, like everything's looking amazing. What happens? Like the specific calling, God is obviously preparing you, you've done your theology and, you know, using your talents and gifts. At what point did you feel like, oh my gosh, God's calling us to Africa? Do you, do you remember the moment and, and how God confirmed it? <laughs> um, I think for me, I, this is one of the difficult things because there are definitely areas or times in my life where I felt God saying, okay, this is what I want you to do. Um, but knowing his purpose has always been one of my, one of my core focuses. I always talk about um, one of my biggest missionary moments in life was when I led a, um, a very wealthy businessman to God at his boardroom table. Um, and he's never walked into a church before and he never has other Christians, well, he never has Christians who talk to him. And for me, that is one of my big, my big things. But I think for me specifically, um, I'd said to God in, in probably in a worship session or something, I said, Lord, whatever you want me to do with my life, I'm giving it to you. So I'm surrendering my life to you. And basically, whenever you say I need to do something, my answer is going to be yes. Um, and, so, and then through that, it's kind of like a process. I think that's how it goes. It's 
It's like an ogre, you know, it has layers. <laughs> and as God reveals one thing, and so the next thing comes, and it's part of the journey. So for me, I had been on a couple of mission trips, and I've always loved adventure. So I think missions had a natural draw anyway, but it's not as romantic as it seems. It's not, it's not that fun adventure. It's not the trip up to the Chobe or anything like that along the Mozambique coast or whatever you want to. It, there's, there's elements of that. There definitely are. But um, I was on a trip one day, and this is always a bit emotional. I got to a village where they had never heard of the name of Jesus before. I mean, we sang that song this morning. Eugene did it. Like, I know who I am. I know who you, who you want me to be. You know, there's so much depth that we have in our knowledge of God. But those people had never heard of the name of Jesus before. They were completely lost. And, and for me, it was something I just had to do something about. And I think that was probably my biggest moment of calling. And then God just carried on opening up the, the onion, showing me more detail what the calling would look like. Yeah. I think also, um, so often we, we like to plan what's going to happen. Like, okay, we feel God is saying this. So we get so fixated on getting there um, that when God maybe wants to do something different, because he always wants the best for us, um, we're so close to it. Yeah. So I think our hearts were just, um, God, we're open to wherever you send us, whatever you want to do. Um, and I think so often in life, actually, all we need to do is take a step. And I remember we, obviously, when we were dating, like, you need to tell the other person if you feel called to missions, because it's quite a big calling. <laughs> um, and if the other person isn't, um, somebody's going to suffer in that marriage. So somebody's going to just, you know, have to just give up what they feel called to. So I remember we discussed it. And so we knew from the beginning, we, we felt like God was going to send us or do something with us as a couple. But we first got offered to go to Lesotho, so we took the step and we said, okay, well, maybe this is God. Um, we made all the plans. We had the house foundation started even. And then all of a sudden, all the doors closed. And so often, we've seen it happen so many times, especially in missions, but just in other people's lives where, where doors close and people pick up a fence towards the church and how could you start sending us there now? You've sent, you know, now you're saying no. Um, so they pick up a fence, they leave the church, or they change direction. But we, because we're willing to just take that step, when God closes the door, you're like, okay, God, you want what's best for me. Let's see what else there is. And we carried on then. I think it was another two or three years. And then Zambia came along, and um, they asked us if we want to go up. And we said, okay, well, we feel called to missions. Let's take another step and see where God leads us. And I think so often in life, that's all we need to do is just take a step. Um, because God has the best for us. It's better than we can ever plan. Um, so yeah, I think that's just what we kept doing is just taking a step. And as God opened a door, you take another step. And as God opens that door, you take another step. And if a door closes, then you just take a different step. But yeah. he leads you if you're willing to be led. I think that's the thing about living a surrendered life, you know, just being open, saying, well, God, whatever. Yeah. And I think many Christians don't get to that place because we're too scared, you know, to hold on to something because we want it to go a certain way yeah. but let me tell you when you just say God like okay you show me the life you have for me it's the most freeing and beautiful thing it's scary yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it is so amazing and you would never look back and go I wish I didn't do that and I just think you know for us you know today obviously there's no typical preach but that's something you can definitely take home with you today is just 
be open. Because be, God might not obviously call you to do something like they're doing, but God might call you to do something. But are we open? Is, is our heart open enough to say, God, what do, you, what do you want to say? And do I need to take that step? And the, the thing is, and I'm sure like with you guys, maybe you can, obviously there were some low times, but it's like all you wanted to do. Yeah. Like it was Lesotho, now it's Zambia. And it's amazing how God just changes the desires of our heart. Yeah. So 10 years, so 10 years ago, you go up to Zambia. You didn't have any kids at that stage, right? Okay, so you go, young couple. Well, you we didn't know that I was actually pregnant is it? as we moved up. We found yeah. out when we were there. Yeah. A weekend. <laughs> so, so you arrived there 10 years ago, and I mean, obviously there was something already started, but it must have been a little bit overwhelming, you know, um, going up there. Tell us what that felt like. I mean, just thrown into the deep end. Yeah. Well, I, th I think one of the things is we, we have to honor those who've gone before us. I mean, it's the same as Auntie Vani and Uncle Raj. It's, it's, the, it's the seeds that have been sown for so many years, the sacrifices that have gone in. And very often you walk in and things start blooming when you arrive. Um, but people don't actually see the, the, the hard work that's gone before and the sacrifices that have been put in. Um, and so Paul and Marinette have, honestly, they, they're some of the biggest leaders I know. And one of our biggest privileges to, is to be able to serve under them. So we walked into something that was already had seeds planted all over the place. And so it was, it, it was scary because we felt that we were ill-prepared. Um, but I think something we've learned is that um, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. I mean, it's such a cliche thing, but he really does. And so as we stepped into things, he would just equip us. Um, he would just open the doors. Uh, you, you start seeing, <laughs> seeing so many miracles happening around you that it actually just starts becoming normal. Um, and I think that's one of the things in a surrendered life, you, God is the one who is showing off because yeah. you, he, you, you don't have to do anything. All you have to be is available. And when you are available, then God can use you as a vessel. Um, if you are a vessel and you're trying to do your own thing, then you're a useless vessel. So yeah. I think that's, that's it. Awesome. You know, like as you surrender, God actually um, opens it and equips you and helps you to flourish. So without sounding like you're showing off, we really want to know what God is doing. He's showing off in Zambia. So, I mean, you sat with us on Tuesday and told us about some of the stuff you're doing. We obviously saw the video, but it's mind-blowing. Um, maybe should we start with the churches? Because that is yeah. obviously the key reason you're there is to reach people for Jesus. And there's obviously a whole lot of citrusy thing. What? Yeah. I can't even say the word today. They, they come alongside that. Yeah. But um, that's the key focus. How many, just tell the guys, how many churches have been planted so far? These are yeah. churches, not people. Yeah, so this, I think the, the video that we showed today, I wanted um, it to be from Paula Marinette, and so unfortunately that was the most recent one I could, I could find. Um, but we've actually reached 140 churches now, and so we have a main church in Mongu, which is the, the, this town we live in, and that church is, I think we hit 1,000 people two weeks ago, sure. um, and from that church we plant out, and so... We've planted this 140 churches, and so every week... 140 we're... churches. <laughs> Just get your head around that. Yeah, it, it's, it's pretty crazy, but our goal is somewhere like a minimum of 1,200. And then from there, we're hoping that will organically grow into 12 to 15,000 churches. Sure, that's incredible. And so yeah. you're in the west side of Zambia, and you're saying mm -hmm. it's some of the most unreached people, huh? 
Yeah, so the Lozi people um, a couple of years ago, I don't know if it's the same anymore, but was one of the 100 most unreached people groups. And so that's one, been one of our passions. Well, my personal passion is salvation. I think it's the biggest miracle there is. I mean, it is the biggest miracle we have. And so to be able to take Jesus to people um, is, is huge. So 100 most unreached people groups. And so we've just yeah, had the privilege of going to this forgotten people. Even in the country, it's the most underdeveloped, the most rural um, it has the worst statistics around it. You heard a couple of them, Paul and Marinette, are sharing. Um, and so, yeah. That's so so how, how do you plant church? Like, so for us, yeah. our context is find a school hall like Mar in Maritzburg, send yeah. you know, two couples, we resource them with KIF sound system, yeah. fund them for a year, you know, all that stuff. They stay local, can drive there and back. For you guys planting churches, it's very different. Yeah. So tell us what that would look like because you've got to walk and drive yeah. to these places for days. So one of, our, one of the biggest challenges we have is that there's basically one road coming in from Lusaka to Mongu, one from Livingston, and one randomly going across a floodplain with no point at this point. So um, 10 hours to get from Livingston, you said, eh? Drive. Yeah, yeah it's, about, it's about 500 kilometers, but it's 10, 10, 11 hours drive. The roads aren't so great. So the road to Maritzburg is not so bad, guys? I know, I know. That's, that's, a, that's a lot of fun, actually. <laughs> <laughs> we did it this morning. <laughs> yeah, so there's, there's basically these three roads, and the whole province is about the size of England, and we reach all corners of the province. So... The typical way we would plant churches is we use our center church, which is the Mongu one, and from there our goal is to plant a big church in every district, and then those district churches will look after the smaller churches. It's really a very big um, organizational chart is what we're building, and those look after smaller and smaller like that. But as we start planting, we, we have to let it grow organically so that we can see where God's moving, where the Spirit's um, choosing people, and as we find faithful, available, and teachable people, we, t we train those guys up. And we will plant a church with the intention of teaching them how to plant a church that can plant another church that can plant another church. And once we get to the fourth generation of churches, then that grows organically. Yeah. And you guys just they start like under a tree? Yep. And then find a facility or build one. You're yep. busy building one at the moment, right? We, yeah. In our, in our big district centers, we're building churches. In Mongi, we have uh, a very big building and building another one. It's amazing. Um, but generally, yeah, this is it. Yeah, yeah. It's under the tree, ladies on the mat, men on the chairs, children on the sand. <laughs> um, but it's very, very rural. As you can see, it would be useless taking a big sound system or any of that stuff. So don't waste time. Let's get going. We were very upset yeah. with the load shedding last week. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You guys, those guys never had no problem. Yeah. <laughs> and language. So, because you were telling me that the one people group you're reaching, you actually had to have a middle person who would translate then to another person then to that language. I mean, that's a challenge. So, so I mean, you can imagine that we have 11 um, official languages. Zambia has 72. Seven, yeah, it's, uh, it's quite ridiculous. So even in our, prov our province, there's 29 dialects um, and completely different languages. So you speak the one, you don't understand the others. The main business language is called Lozi. And there is a Lozi Bible, but we, don't, we didn't have Bibles in any of the other languages. So we translate, we've just translated the New Testament into five when languages. When you say we've just translated, like, I, I got, I, how? Do, how? 
We just translated well, the Bible. We first had to write the languages because none of them were actually written down. So, so you've got a team doing we have We have international consultants who specialize in Bible translation. And then we have groups from the five different people groups or languages that come into our base and we run a month to two month translation workshop with them. So first, yeah, first step was write down a language so that it can actually be recorded. Um, work out the sounds, the phonetics, and then put that into lettering and then write the language and then start translation. So we did the, the Jesus form was one of the first translation projects because um, that you can make one or two mistakes once you get to the Bible. Yeah, talk little, about little pressure and responsibility, eh? like <laughs> yeah. just translate the Bible. Yeah, so I think it's been a 17-year process so long, or so far, to get to this point. Um, and yeah, we've officially, last month, finished the New Testament completely. That's incredible. I think that deserves a... Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. So coming back to your actual question, um, that is just a little, yeah brag for my friends who are doing that. Um, we, to, to get the message to people, we often have to translate, if we, if we are translating from English, it'll be from English to Lozi, then Lozi to another language, that's the standard, I think. And then from there, there are certain groups that don't understand the second language, so that has to go to a third language, so you have a, a lineup of preachers. It's quite fun. Kind of like broken That's telephone long, long with service. a lot of pressure. It's <laughs> a long yeah. service there, eh? <laughs> yeah. There's no time constraints. <laughs> yeah. Um, Charlotte, maybe you can expand a little bit on this. So the team on the ground there is pretty big. You said you have over 100. How, how many people on the ground that you at the base? So permanent missionaries, which um, most of us are from South Africa. There's um, two girls that are from America. We're 10 permanent missionaries, but the rest are all local staff that we've raised up and trained. So I could be wrong, but we do have over 100. I know that, so maybe around 130. No, it's going on. It's, the last count I knew was 145, and I think we're about 150 now. That's incredible. Yeah. So, so you got the churches. Maybe Charlotte, you can tell us a little bit about some of the other projects because you've got 150 staff. Like, what are some of the other things that you guys are doing, or things you specifically involved in? Um, so I, I mean, I'll start with what I do. So. I do all the team logistics. We have a lot of teams that come from all over the world to visit us and just help um, with the project and with our village uh, churches and that. So I do all team logistics to get them there and their trips and um, making sure that they keep busy and have fun while they're there. And then I also run Hope Art, which is, um, I've got 12 ladies that I work with. I think there's some pictures. And these beautiful ladies make amazing products. Um, we make paper, a lot of paper jewelry, so they roll the paper, make beautiful beads, and we make jewelry, we make bags out of the local, I think, yeah, it's called shweshwe, but we call it shitengi material in Zambia. Um, so they make all these beautiful products. We're able to help them, um, buy the products from them, help their families, but also all our, 100% of our profit goes back into um, Village of Hope, which I'll tell you about now, and then also just helping the children in our community. So that's just one of the ways that we can um, <clears throat> just have enough money coming in. We can pay for things when we need to. We can build classrooms if we need to. We've been able to put water wells in with the, with the profits as well. So Village of Hope, um, we obviously saw a huge need in our community. You can't, yes, we're there to plant churches, but you can't also turn a blind eye to so many needs around you, like you guys are just so great at it um, as a church. So we saw, especially in our very close community, just so many vulnerable and orphan children. 
So we started Village of Hope. We partnered with it's a Canadian um, NGO. And we currently, obviously, we've been going for quite a while, but we run a school. We've got 420 children at the moment. So um, 720. Sorry, 720. <laughs> That's why we act together. Um, and we started with just three children under a tree, and we've managed to grow to that. Um, and it's so just it's a amazing. Full school from junior all the from way From preschool to, we've had two sets of matrix so far. So they start from preschool and they work their way up. So we're very proud of them. These were our first metrics of 2020. Um, it was just so exciting yeah, to see them from this small just working their way up. And, and some of them have gone on to really excel. And yeah, yeah, it's really been phenomenal to see. Yeah, we've had a couple that are in the top 10 of the province and one that was, in the, as far as I understand, top uh, 10 in the country as well. Really, sure. really hard marks. That's incredible. So, we, yeah, we have all local um, teachers that teach them, um, and they just do such a great job. It's really an amazing school. So it's such a, such a blessing to those children, and we only accept um, vulnerable and orphan children. So it's just really amazing to see these children that have no hope, not just get into a school, but get into a school that's actually going to, like, just yeah, accelerate them and then to see them <laughs> finish my trick is just mind blowing. Awesome, yeah. yeah. And tell us a little bit about the, the clinic and the you know yeah. the whole centre, the care centre and all that. Yeah, so we started a clinic as well. Um, it's for obviously helps the children in our school but also in our community. Um, you know a bit more about the clinic so, side. Yeah, the clinic <laughs> is is tailored specifically to um, children. And, and caregivers. So it's a pediatric healthcare center. We started off as a clinic and it's developed into something a lot bigger. Um, and so we're trying to do, uh, uh, have a holistic approach to, to um, pediatric healthcare. Yeah. So from, from um, conception, a thousand days on is our, is our primary focus. Uh, it's apparently the time frame where you can have the, the biggest help in, peop in children's lives for their whole life's health in that time period. So that's so a that big focus there. about the kids that survive and why they have mm. so many kids. I mean, this is pretty so, scary. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it gets quite depressing sometimes, but the, the official life expectancy in Western Zambia is 29. That's the average life expectancy, which is really low. Um, and the child mortality rate is that three out of five children won't make it to five years old. Um, so we've been in villages where children up to that age don't have names. Um, they, they don't get given a name until they've actually survived a certain amount of time, which is really, really heartbreaking, obviously. Um, and so that's one of our primary reasons we're doing that as well. Alongside that, and one of the reasons for the high mortality rate is bad um, sanitation, which is bad drinking water, but then also bad um, hygienic practices. So that's another focus that we have. Um, I think, just quickly going back to, to VOH, um, the children's village, we have, um, we have the clinic, and then we have a malnourishment center. We have um, 130 children going through the malnourishment center that are severely malnourished and without help would die. So that's pretty much 130 lives saved every year on that one. The clinic sees between six and 7,000 patients a year. Um, 
And then we've got an occupational therapy center which helps um, disabled children or children that need help to develop. So that's also been really, really amazing. And then we have children's homes as well. So we've got six children's homes with eight children in each home. And the homes also act as a halfway house when children are needing to um, be taken away from abusive situations. So they'll, the, the number fluctuates a bit, but such a such an honor to see God providing hope like this. Sure. I mean, it's like a daily a daily thing. You're walking around, seeing people who are completely hopeless, and um, be filled with hope. Mm. Yeah, it's fascinating. I I was going to ask if you ever get bored, you know, there, but it, it sounds like you keeping busy um, but I just can't imagine you know having to have four kids because maybe only one is going to survive yeah. I mean that's the mentality there of some of the people just in case they have lots because only one or two of them are going to survive yeah, um, yeah. No, that's right. I, was, I was in a village once installing water wells and we had a certain amount of money to put wells in and I had finished my quota, and we were busy packing up, and a mom came. Oh, gosh, man, this one's too much for me. You can make all the cutting onions, yeah, for sure. Yeah, dude, somewhere around here, this must be this thing. Um, so they, she came in, and she had a little baby who was two weeks old, and she had had diarrhea for two weeks because of the water they were drinking, and was begging us to please put a well in their village. Um, well, she first just asked if we can help her baby because the baby hadn't had milk for two weeks, um, well, since it was born, because she just couldn't produce milk because of herself being so dehydrated. Um, and so we did help with, um, with providing her with rehydrate and that type of thing. But it's, it's one of those things where I, I had to drive away. I couldn't do anything. And that, those are the hard situations where you know uh, possible is somebody else's impossible. It's just like they would try and teach him to boil water and do all sorts of things, but it's just too much, you know. So the water project, um, so have you got a well into that specific village yet? Or Yeah, we do now. Yeah. You do. How yeah. much does it cost? Uh, maybe just let people know. Yeah. So what's this, it's like a pump system that you're drilling yeah, in. Yeah, so we, we've used, uh, when I got there, we were using a, um, a very old um, method of doing it where you sink... Um, concrete rings into the ground until you reach the water table. Uh, but the problem with those is they kept drying up in, in droughts and that type of thing. So we've moved over to a couple of different things and in different areas, different drilling techniques work better. So we have a big drill rig and then we have um, a couple of different ones in different areas. So drill a hole, um, sleeve it, it's all done. Um, I've done quite a lot of studying on boreholes now, so we've got a good quality, um, well, they're all good quality methods. And then we put in a hand pump at the top, which is the easiest for maintenance in the villages. Anything electric is a nightmare, unfortunately. Um, and so we put in these hand pumps, and they everyone can pump uh, safe, clean drinking water from there. Mm. Yeah, so and how much does it cost to... It costs us 45,000 Rand, which um, is actually considering very cheap because you can imagine the logistics of trying to get out uh, I try and equate it, it's the same as driving from here to Joburg without a road. That's the, the type of thing we have to do when we put boreholes in at times. Sure. Um, yeah, so it's... Cause you were saying you, he's, he will go out for four or five days and then you can't get hold of him and then he comes back four days later. 
like at home with kids. I mean, it's just crazy. She's brave. I mean, do you, I mean, you must worry, but what do you do? You just say, God, well. I think in the beginning I used to worry, but then I just kind of convinced myself that no news is good news. <laughs> that you know, in Africa, if you need to get hold of someone, you, you will somehow. <laughs> No it might be sending an ox cart, or it might be like finding signals somewhere if you've got to walk for hours, but that's how I kept myself sane. Just, I'm sure if something happens, somebody will get hold of me somehow. She says, you guys are incredibly brave. She did, she did say to somebody, it's JC. <laughs> that's true. I was like, yes, she's free. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to be okay. Fight off snakes. I mean, you must hear these guys' stories. Like, in this, like, so, so, um, you need obviously funds for wells. We, we support you monthly, uh, and like many other people do. And I was quite surprised to, for you to tell us that, I mean, just nice for these guys to hear that we've been one of your most consistent, biggest donors, yeah. which is, I didn't realize that, but that's, yeah. that's amazing. So well done to all of you guys. Yeah. Um, it's Thank awesome. Um, but um, I think today, and don't worry, I'm not taking an offering for this. We've already got the money to give. I think we would love to donate a, a water well. 45,000 rand. I think it'd be awesome. You guys have already given the money for that, okay? That'd be awesome. So, thank you. Um, so, you find a place that needs it. Hopefully, it's thank not you. eight day drive or something, Charlotte, so you have to worry. <laughs> we're, um, getting it, we're getting a bit better, so it's taking less time now. <laughs> and maybe because I'm aware of time and we're not sitting at a tree in Zambia, even though we've got aircon and could sit here all day, but uh, any uh, closing thoughts or things, needs? Uh, any immediate needs that you guys have or just something you want to just share with the guys? I mean, uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, uh, there's need, there really is need all over the place. So if, if you have a particular area you'd like to partner with us and help make a difference, then you're welcome to chat to us. Uh, we, we haven't been able to do personal fundraising for a while, so that is one of our, our needs. Um, yeah, I don't... Yeah, honestly, it's like you guys, you know what it's like. It's when you're doing stuff for God, you always have faith steps ahead of you. And so we're busy building a thousand-seater children's church at the moment. Thousand-seater kids' church, how's that? Yeah, so that's, um, we, we're needing finance on that quite a lot. Um, we've, we've just started the first phase, which we've got the money for, which is 1.4 million. Um, but it looks like it's probably going to cost in the region of about 4.5 million. So... Sure. That would be if, if somebody needs to throw some money somewhere. Um, we can maybe give a little tour to that as well. <laughs> yeah, but like I say, I mean, it's, there's so many areas where, where we're just stepping out in faith, and as you step out in faith, the kingdom can't advance without financial giving. Mm -hmm. I think that's the bottom line. You know that it's the, it's yeah. the same here. Um, and so, yeah. Do you have any... Anything you want to say? Yeah, I think for me, it's just obviously with the Being Love Sunday, like I'm constantly always reminded about how privileged we are to have God's love. Yeah. Um, and I think it's so selfish for us to keep it to ourselves when there's so many people out there who don't, yeah. who don't know about it, who don't know what it feels like to have someone who loves them the way that God loves us. So I think my encouragement is just step out wherever you are, be a missionary to the people around you and just share God's love with them. Like that's all you have to do. It's not scary. It doesn't have to be a big thing. Like just show them God's love and God will do the rest. Yeah. 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 I'm going to shortly, just quickly. I think for me, one of the biggest, um, the biggest lessons I've learned is that the, 
the hugeness and the magnitude of God's love for us is something we can never, we can never return to Him. Um, we can never show Him that Sa's love. And, and we will always be indebted to, to Him because of His love for us. But the only thing we can do is to, is to show Him our love by affecting people around us. By taking people with us, because that's his heartbeat. You know, Charlotte's been one of my biggest lessons of God's love in my life. Because I, you, you realize you don't deserve it, but the the only way that I can show her love is by doing stuff that I know is important for her. So when I'm doing stuff that's important for God, it is my expression of love back to Him. We don't do it to earn anything. We can't. But it's our expression of, of love back to God. And so that's my encouragement. Like your, the, the degree of your expression back to God shows him how much you're loving him. And also, it's also a reflection on us, you know. Like, I say I love God, but do I really? Yeah. Like, does, do my actions actually show that I love God? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I heard he's become quite the chef, eh? So he's meeting your love language. The other night, Charlotte was like, ah, they don't have Woolworths, guys, and, and all this stuff. They don't have, I mean, there's a check, is there? How much is a cabbage? You said like 90 rand or something. Yeah, no, uh, broccoli is around 90. 90 yeah. rand. Slab of chocolate you can get every night again. Yeah, no, slab of chocolate, thank goodness. I don't think there's a hard demand, so then the price comes down a bit. So that I'm, I'm stoked about. That's my, yeah. that's my cheat. I mean, they're pretty much living off the land there. He's even grown his own coffee, <laughs> which we're going to attempt at roasting later. Uh, but it, it's just amazing. But the other night, Charlotte was like, I feel like something sweet. And this guy comes out with this, like, Gordon Ramsay, like, chocolate thing and, like, all sorts. He showed me that, a picture. That was my, um, my lockdown hobby. <laughs> just don't show my wife, because I'm not so good at that thing. Anyway... There is so much more that we could tell you about what they're doing there. I mean, even in the clinic, I mean, you've got doctors and nurses there. You, I mean, it's just incredible. And I just think maybe if you would like to go up there and visit, I know Kay Bailey went up and spent a month up there. Maybe we should organize a, Scotty's been up, maybe organize a mission up to Zambia some, sometime, even this year or next year, uh, and see who wants to come up. And I think it would be incredible. It just takes a long time to get there, three days, four days drive. Um, and uh, talking about that, I see your Toyota outside there. That's why you, you got that, right? Um, anyway, but there's so much more I'd love to say, but just you guys are incredible, such a blessing, obviously, not only to people of Zambia, but, you know, even to us here today. I know many have been encouraged and challenged, I think, and we are, we are grateful to be able to support you guys in some well, small I think way. Well, I think the, the bottom line here is that this is us. Because it's because there's yeah, a partnership, you know. Yeah. This is an extension of what you guys are doing. So well done. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. That's incredible. Should we give them a hand and just thank them? Yeah. Thank you, my buddy. Thank you, my buddy. Awesome, my buddy. Thank you. Sure. Well, they're going to be with us again tonight. If uh, you wanted to bring anyone along to hear that story, but uh, I know some of you guys have really been challenged and encouraged today. Hey? And so excited to be able to continue to partner with you guys and we'll sort out that well. And maybe you can send us a picture back of where you've installed it and some people being happy with having just clean drinking water. Something we, I mean, I just, I mean, we're drinking like bottled water here, like as if it's, you know, it's just crazy. They can't even get clean water over the tap. Anyway, I was meant to do something else. I was meant to pray. Um, sorry. 
we'll, we'll hand it to Colin in a moment to come finish the service. But I, I think, I suppose there's nothing much else we can do but just to respond to God in prayer. So let's maybe just take a moment. Yep. Lord, we just thank you so much for just what we've heard today. We just thank you um, for people like JC and Charlotte that are, in a sense, given up everything, uh, risking their lives in many times and uh, sacrificing a lot with their three little kids living in the middle of Africa. And it's, it's incredibly inspiring, God. And uh, Lord, let it not be um, condemning to any of us in any way, saying what we're doing, but rather convicting, God. Like, what have you put in our hand? What can we do in our world? What gift, what unique talent have you given us that we can love you and love people? And God, as we're celebrating Love Sunday today, we just thank you so much for them and the ministry of the Zambia Project and what a privilege it is to be part of that today. And, um, you know, just thank you for the generous people of this church that continue to give so that we can just be part of that blessing and just seeing people's lives changed. Kids, drinking water, clinics, schools, churches, just what a blessing, God. God, thank you that you continue to stir our hearts and whatever it is, that you're calling us to do. Let us not be numb to your voice and that we would live a surrendered life, even though maybe we feel like we, um, you know, are called to specific corporate or business or school, whatever it is, and that's okay. But God, I pray that our lives would always be surrendered. Say, God, what are you you saying to me today? What are you saying for my future, God? What do you want me to do to make a significant impact on the world around me? And I know today that the Spirit of God is is moving deeply in people's hearts. Holy Spirit, would you move? Would you, where it's become too comfortable for some of you, I'm praying that the Spirit of God would make you uncomfortable today. There's been many of you that have heard the voice of God for specific things. It doesn't have to be a missionary, but it can be small things in and around your community or your circle of influence that you know God has asked you to do, but you're just being disobedient and, or perhaps sometimes you're like, I don't know how. Just take that next step. Whatever that next step looks like today or tomorrow. And first you need to just say, God, here I am, send me. I open up my heart to you. And why don't you do that now to him today? Say, God, use me wherever you like. It's a scary prayer to pray, but it's the most incredible prayer to pray because God has such a unique, significant, amazing plan for your life. And so often we get stuck in the rut of how we know how to do things. But God always has a better, different way. So God, speak. Nudge if you have to today.